welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open your Bibles. If you have your Bible, open them up to the Old Testament book, or if you can pull out your Bible app on your phone, and you want to find the book of First Chronicles. And there's pew Bibles as well. First Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter 21. You are here on the third part of a three-week sermon series on David, King David, and in the Old Testament, his spiritual advisors. King David had three spiritual advisors, and we're looking in all three. The first we looked at two weeks ago was a man named Samuel. Samuel anointed David. Last week, we looked at a man named Nathan. Nathan rebuked David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed. And then today, we're going to see a man named Gad. These are all prophets, and the Bible also calls them seers. Seers are people who know what the Lord wants. Prophets are people who speak on behalf of the Lord. And Gad came to David later in his life, and he's really redirecting David here because David makes a foolish decision that's really rooted in the sin of something that we all struggle with, and that is pride. David is an older man, and he's going to take a census. And you say, well, what's the big deal about a census? Well, the big deal about a census is in the book of Exodus, chapter 30, verse 12, the Bible told us in the Old Testament book, that Moses was not to go take a census of the people unless during the census they brought half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. So it just wasn't something to see how many people we have. They used the census as also a way to give and uh, make an offering to the temple. And that census was actually used almost like a building campaign fundraiser for a church if you need to rebuild the building or remodel the sanctuary back then. So that's what the census was actually supposed to be used for. It was a time of offering for the Lord. But David is going to take a census. And this census was not an offering to the Lord. And David is going to get judged for that. You say, well, you know, all he did was just count the people. What's wrong with counting the people? David started out, his very first military. The Bible tells us he was a young man on the run from King Saul, and he had 400 soldiers. Now, when the census occurs, this is well on into his life. He doesn't have just 400 soldiers. He has over a million and a half. And the problem with doing that, and the problem with pride, is it's tempting when maybe you've gone through life and you've made some wise choices. Maybe you ran a business and it's been successful. Maybe you raised children and they became very successful and they've done well. Maybe you have looked at uh, some uh, skill you have and you have developed it. And it's uh, a very good skill and you can use it to your advantage. It can bless you financially. It can help other people. And it's easy when you have these abilities to think, you know, I am so glad that I can do this. And these people over here, you know, they just aren't my level. 
But God, thank you for making me better than them. That is the danger of pride. Because pride swells up in your heart and you feel you are better than someone else. I'll give you a personal example of my own life. I have a very mild, not very, extremely mild temperament. Probably none of you have ever seen me angry. Because I don't get angry. Now, I say that. Now, Benjamin, the boys at the house, they can borderline push me to get there, and they need it too. So that's, uh, you know, when, total disobedience from little boys. Um, but if you come and chew me out after this church service is over, I'm probably not going, I don't know, I'm not going to fire back at you. That's just not my personality. I'm the walkaway guy. I can ghost people. You'll never hear from me. I have these abilities. So I'm that, that man. So I, I, if there's a situation, I'll, I'll walk out the door. Like, where'd he go? I, and then, and so I don't find myself ever regretting flying off the handle or exploding on other people. Now, there's a lady in our house I'm married to. She's different than me. And the problem with that, someone like me with extremely mild temperament, it's easy when you see somebody else who maybe they're more hot-headed and they are raising their voice a little bit or they just have different, uh, they say and do different things, for you to sit back and say, you know what, I'm so glad I don't act this way. I'll never talk that way. I don't explode on people. You don't see me going berserko over these type of issues. And I'll be thinking these things. Maybe, you've, maybe somebody at your house is like that. You have someone who's extremely mild. And then you maybe have a hothead over here. And there's a danger with these two opposites. Because what happens is that person who's very mild can get very prideful and think, thank you, Lord, for not making me like that person's attitude. I'm glad I don't have their temperament. Folks, that's pride if you do that. The Bible calls that sin. Because what you're doing is you're taking something that maybe you have a gift or a skill at, and it's actually becoming your greatest weakness. So how's it becoming your greatest weakness? Because you're, look, I have a quote up here on the screen. I want to show you. One of my favorite preachers of yesteryear, Adrian Rogers, he, said, he made this statement. Your greatest strength, so whatever your greatest strength is, whatever you are good at doing, say my example is I have extremely mild temperament is also your greatest weakness. Because what happens is because just because you can do something good, then you get prideful about because other people aren't at your level. And all of us here have different skills and abilities and gifts than other people. And what occurs, and what we're about to see here in our Bible, David was a phenomenal king. He did very good in his military endeavors. The man did not lose battles. He didn't lose a fight. So it would be easy to say, you know what, I'm an old man now. Let's count the soldiers. I started with 400. I wonder how much and how many I have now. That is pride. His greatest strength, David's military ability, all of a sudden is about to become his greatest weakness. So that's what we're going to read right here. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel. So the devil is doing this. He's, leading, he's attacking David. 
Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. So the devil knows, okay, David's an older guy now. You know, he's learned maybe from his adultery with Bathsheba. I might not be able to get him to do that again. But let's get him to take a census. Let's get pride. See if there's any pride in David's heart to see if he will do that. So David said to Joab, Joab is his military commander. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, go and count Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring a report to me so I can know their number. So he wants to see, oh, let's find out how many folks I've got. You know, that, that's, that's an ego issue right there. He wants to know the numbers. Joab replied, May the Lord multiply the number of his people a hundred times over. My Lord the king, aren't they all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? Joab, and Joab isn't even that religious of a guy. He comes up to David and says, David, we don't need to do this. This is not necessary. Why do you feel you need to start counting everyone? Like, uh, David, you know, why bring this pain upon all, our entire nation? Joab knew what Exodus 30 verse 12 said. It was wrong. We didn't just count people for the sake of counting. Only time we counted people was for fundraising to go to church, bring money in for the temple, build a new building. But here David wants to know how many. Yet the king's order prevailed over Joab. So Joab left and traveled throughout Israel and then reported to Jerusalem. Joab gave the total troop registration to David. In all of Israel, there were 1,100,000 armed men. And in Judah itself, 470,000 armed men. So that's over a million and a half people right there. But that did not include Levi and Benjamin. So there were 12 tribes of Israel. They only counted 10. The Levites, they were, uh, they were the ones who ran the temple. So they were church guys. They weren't good military folks. And then Benjaminites, they were kind of wicked. So they didn't even count them. So that, you know, Joab doesn't even want to do it. So he does like... 10 out of 12 tribes. So, and then he just, here's a number. He just throws out numbers. He doesn't count them all. So, it says in verse 6, because the king's command was detestable to him. That's Joab did not want to do this, and he knew it was wrong. This command was also evil in God's sight. So he afflicted Israel. So here's our story, what's about to happen. Something's going to happen to David for his punishment for disobeying the Lord and taking a census of the people. David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. Now please take away your servant's guilt, for I have been very foolish. Now here comes the prophet, the seer, named Gad, the spiritual advisor. So he's about to bust into the scene, and he's going to speak to David. Then the Lord instructed Gad, David's seer, go and say to David, this is what the Lord says, I am offering you three choices. Choose one of them for yourself, and I will do it to you. So he's going to get a choice. So Gad went to David and said, This is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine, or three months of devastation by your foes, with the sword of your enemy overtaking you. That means David didn't lose military battles. So for three months, he could have had the surrounding armies of Israel begin attacking and winning against David's army. He had never had a, he never, he's like an undefeated champion, never took a loss. 
And then look at this one. This is his third choice. This is the one David's going to take here. Or three days of the sword of the Lord, a plague on the land, the angel of the Lord bringing destruction to the whole territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. So David gets these three options. And he's going to choose the third one here. David answered God, I'm in anguish. Please let me fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are very great. But don't let me fall into human hands. David realized, okay, I've got these three options. A three-year plague, which he didn't want. Three months of losing military battles to our enemies. He didn't want that because he had never lost a battle. Or what he chose, three days of the sword of the Lord striking and sending plagues on all the people. And that's what he wanted because he believed he had more of a chance of the mercy of God from the Lord looking down, giving mercy to David than the other enemies, human hands, as he called them. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 Israelite men died. Then God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But when the angel was about to destroy the city, the Lord looked, relented concerning the destruction, and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand now! So the Lord killed 70,000 people. This is the most loss that David ever experienced. He had never even close had a, a, a battle that lost 70,000 people. Even when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah died and several other uh, of the soldiers passed away, but that might have only been 15 or 20. It wasn't 70,000. This was David's worst sin. He had the grave consequences from this. Mass death from what occurred taking the census. And he says, the Lord is about to come to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where David moved the capital to. This is the new capital city. And it's where uh, the unified Israel is right there. It's, Jerusalem's known as the city of David. And he looks what, look what's about to happen here. Latter part of verse 15. The angel of the Lord. So he's, he withdraws his hand. The Lord stops the angel from destroying all the people in Jerusalem. The angel of the Lord was standing at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So he was standing at this unique place about to kill everyone. You say, what is the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite? This is a very important place. This is what we call in the Bible, this exact location of what is known as Mount Moriah. It is the highest point in, Israel, in Jerusalem. It is where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac from. This is also the place and the only place that the temple is allowed to be built at. And today, there is a building at this exact location. In fact, I have a picture of the building right here. This is the building that is located at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. We have a picture up here. That picture is going to show up in a minute, and you'll be able to see it. It's the Dome of the Rock is what it is. It's now a Muslim mosque, but that is not, oh, there it is. That, is, that right there is the location of the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. At that location is actually where, when David 
he wanted to build a temple, a house for the Lord. But God said, David, you can't build a house for the Lord. Your son Solomon's going to build a house for the Lord. That location is where the Solomon, if you read the following chapters of 1 Chronicles, where he builds the very first temple. And then the temple is destroyed in 586 B.C. because of their disobedience. And these people like Ezra and Nehemiah, they came along after 70 years of exile, and they rebuild the temple. And that exact location right there, it didn't look like that. It looked like the temple was the exact commandments God gave. That's where Jesus preached out of. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die in the temple on the cross. He had died. He was executed outside the city walls of Jerusalem. But at that exact location, when Jesus died, there was a curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And there was a curtain that tore from top to bottom. And it occurred right there at that location. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, one day that temple or that mosque is, that mosque is going to be destroyed. And then there's going to be a third temple. And it, the temple can only be built in that location. And say, why is this location so significant? Because I'm about to show you all in the Bible. This is where the Lord showed His mercy to David. He was killing, the, he was about to kill all the people, and he stopped right there. Now keep going in your Bibles here. This is such a significant event. If you ever turn on your news one day, and that Dome of the Rock has been destroyed, and a third temple is being built, you know you are living in the end times. Because that's one of the signs of the end times. The third temple is going to be built. And our Jewish friends already have the building supplies ready for it. I mean, they are prepared. And there's exact specifications how they're supposed to build it. The book of Exodus tells us exactly how it's supposed to be built. Then David looked up, verse 16, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. It was in that location. David looks up and he sees the Lord standing between earth and heaven in that exact spot right there. With his sword drawn in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem, David and the elders. So at this point, it's not just David, it's the elders. It says here that they were covered in sackcloth. They fell face down. David said to God, wasn't I the one who gave the order to count the people? I am the one who has sinned and acted very wickedly. But these sheep, remember David's a shepherd. Remember the first prophet who spoke to David, Samuel. David first met Samuel when he had to come in from being out in the field with the sheep. And then he walks in from being in the field and he gets anointed in the presence of his family in his community there in Bethlehem. David was from Bethlehem. And he's, he, he calls out and says, I am the one who's acted this way. But these sheep here, they haven't, what, what have they done? Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and against my father's family, but don't let the plague be against your people. David's crying and calling out to God. And at this moment, right in this specific place, God stops. So why is this place so significant? Because this is where the mercy of God was shown. And what is, when you come to church, when you would go to the temple back in Bible time, you are experiencing here this morning the mercy of God. We are guilty. The mercy of God means we stand before the Lord as sinners, and then we are only saved by God's mercy. Our three wonderful folks who got baptized this morning, they were saved because of the blood of Jesus. He saves them. 
He's the one that extends His mercy. And that's why that location of the temple where they would make the sacrifices, back in Bible times, you would bring your animal, your sheep, your lamb, and they would sacrifice it for the sins of the people. And then ultimately, Jesus became that sacrifice who's the mercy. He is our mercy. Meaning, if we, there's no other hope but the Lord by His mercies that we're saved. That is what we see right here. We see God showing His mercy exactly in this spot because of David's sin, He was going to destroy all of Jerusalem. But He stopped. He says, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to relent. Look at here in your Bibles. So the angel of the Lord ordered Gad. So now Gad's about to come back. Go and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. That's, that's the temple right there. That's the Holy of Holies. David went up at Gad's command, spoken in the name of the Lord. Ornan was threshing wheat when he turned. So he's the fellow who owns this area. He owns this threshing floor. He turns around and he sees an angel. His four sons who were with him, they went and hid. They were so scared they ran away. What much of boys, hey, the angel scared them off. So dad's still standing there. He's looking at an angel of the Lord. There goes the boys. David came to Ornan. And when Ornan looked and he saw David, now the king's coming to him. He's thinking, what on earth is going on here? Just saw the Lord. Now I'm seeing David. He's coming to my, my house. And he, sees, he looks and he sees David. He left the threshing floor and bowed to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Give me this threshing floor plot so I may build an altar to the Lord on it. Give it to me at the full price so the plague on the people may be stopped. David saying, I'm here to purchase your threshing floor and I'm going to pay top dollar. I don't want a discount. I don't want the king freebie. I want, I want 50% off. I'm paying the maximum amount price because all of this is because of me. It's because I'm the one who's, who has done this. And it says in verse 23, Ornan said to David, Take it, my lord. The king may do whatever he wants. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and all the wheat and the grain offerings. I give it all. He tried to give it to David. David says, No, I can't accept this for free. I must pay you. If you skip down to verse 25, look here. David gave Ornan. 15 pounds of gold for the plot. David purchased the location that the temple was to be uh, built on. He built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the name of the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. And it says the Lord spoke to the angel and he put his sword back in its sheath. Just like that. God stopped. He extended His mercy in this exact spot. And that is where our temple is built today. It's the only spot that's allowed to be built. Well, now it's a Muslim mosque. They built it there. After Jerusalem collapsed in 70 AD, it fell into Muslim hands, and then that's what we have now. But soon there will be a third temple in that exact location. We say, why don't we build a temple here in Lexington? Because that is the only location on earth right here at the threshing floor of Ornan, where the Lord showed His mercy, where He stopped and said, okay, I relent. I'm not going to keep killing you for your sin. Say, Pastor, why did all this happen? Because David had pride in his heart. Do you know, 
The devil, in Ezekiel chapter 24, we get a glimpse of where the, where the devil came from. He was a, he's an angel. The KJV calls him Lucifer. It says that pride swelled up in his heart and he wanted to be like God. That's why, the, that's why he got cast out of heaven. Because pride was in the devil's heart. Eve, she was there with this talking serpent in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And it tells us in Genesis 3, 5 that God, this talking snake, this devil, that's what the ancient serpent is, God knows that when you eat, Eve was commanded, do not eat from this tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of good, of knowledge of good and evil. And God, in verse 5 says, Genesis 3, 5, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Eve felt God was withholding something from me. I want to be like God. When David decided to take a census, here's the problem with pride. When David took that census, he's probably thinking, do you know I started out with 400 people in my army? Now I have over a million and a half. I've never lost a battle. I'm a great king, a great military commander. That's pride. You feel like you've done something. Israel, the nation of Israel did not belong to David. It belonged to the Lord. Anything you have in your life, any blessing or gift or skill, we always give the Lord credit. We don't think something happened because I'm so good. Look, God, what I did. When we take that credit, we're taking it away from the Lord. That's the problem with pride. If you have a mild temperament like me, you should be thankful for that. Not use as a cocky attitude saying, I'm better than you. I don't get mad. I don't go crazy. I don't fly off the handle. You won't see me acting that way. That's the exact wrong reason to have it. That's your greatest strength becoming your greatest weakness. And the Lord is searching inside of our hearts saying, is there any pride, any seeds or pockets of pride that you need to repent of? Because David had it. And it was with him. It was his military ability. Some of you, it might be your business. It might be you're the smartest kid in school. You can make straight A's and you don't even have to study. Some of you have athletic abilities that are beyond anyone else. Some of you, you just, uh, I mean, naturally, you're good looking, so you have lots of boyfriends uh, always lined up. I mean, you just have gifts that other people don't have. And it's easy when you do that. They're just, you know, I'm number one. And the Lord looks at you, who do you think you are? I gave you that ability. I gave you that gift. I gave you your good looks. That's that's what we see this picture here of what David is doing. So here's the problem. Here's why pride is so dangerous for us today. These are the last three things we're going to see here. David, this is why it's dangerous. David never outgrew temptation. This is an old man. This isn't young David sleeping around with Bathsheba. This is well towards the end. He should be raising up his son Solomon, saying, Solomon, soon I'm going to heaven. I need to start raising you up and training you to be the next king. You're going to be following me. I need to be teaching my children. David had some wild children. I need to be teaching them about the Lord and instructing them how I was instructed. But that's not what David's doing. He's sitting around thinking, I need to start counting my people. Let's see how much money I have. Let's see how great the army is. Let's see how good my stock has gone up. Look at me. That even Joab, who was not a religious man, he knew this was wrong. 
David didn't outgrow his temptation. We never outgrow temptation. Either old man or old woman, you will still struggle with temptation. Might be different temptations when you're 20, 30s, or 40s, but you will still battle sin. And it happened to old man David right here. Number two, David refused to listen. Now, there's a lot of things in this world you don't need to listen to. Most stuff you don't need to listen to. But when someone comes to you, like Joab did, and he pointed out, he says, David, he says, this is, de-, he used this phrase, this is detestable in God's sight. You don't need to take a census. There's no need for this. And it says the king's, in verse 4, the king's command prevailed. He didn't listen. Joab even tried to stop him. And he just kept doing it. If someone comes to you with Scripture and says, here's what the Bible says, what's going on in your life, you need to line up your life with what the Word of God says. That's worth listening to. That's someone you need to pause and say, let me, let me hear what you're saying. That's who we listen to. We listen to God. We listen to God's Word. And thirdly and finally, and this is most dangerous, what pride does to all of us and what it did to David David told God when he took that census, he said, God, I did it. Thank you, Lord. I did it. I built Israel. I've never lost a battle. Got a big army. Look how strong I made it, Lord. Look, I, look what I did at this wonderful country. As if the country of Israel was David's. David was a shepherd that God chose out of the pasture. He was a nobody. He didn't even get invited to the dinner when Samuel came and anointed him. He was so far down the totem pole. Pride and what David did says, look at me. Instead of look at God or give glory to God or be thankful to God, you're taking and you're stealing God's glory and God's attention. That's what pride does. Folks, all of us here struggle with pride. And we need to be looking in our hearts. And in David's case, it was a census because of his military strength and how good of he was. You, and here's how to develop how you find pride. You think about what are you good at? What gifts do you have? What's your skill? What insights or abilities? How, how do you manage money? How can you manage people or whatever it is you do? How you look. Whatever you are exceptionally well at, that is your greatest weakness. That is where the devil attacks you with pride. And if he did it with King David as an old man, he will do it with you. It will destroy your family. 70,000 people died because of what David did. And a great price was paid. This was great, David's greatest loss, taking a silly census because it stole from God's glory. And the only, I guess the only good thing that came out of this is we got from this whole story of what God did, is we got the exact location of where the temple is going to be built. And it was because of God's mercy. David knew as he falls, he falls into the Lord's hand, the Lord might relent and not wipe out all of Jerusalem and kill everyone, including him. And at that threshing floor of Ornan, he stopped right there and he says, build an altar, Gad. We don't hear a lot about Gad, but Gad's the one who was told right there, that's where the altar's going to be. And that's where the temple is today. It's the only place to be built. That's where it was built. That's where you make your sacrifice. And the Bible instructs us that we need to make sure that in our personal lives, that 
if you're struggling with indwelling sin, pride, uh, attitude of cockiness, arrogance, you have to ask the Lord, says, God, what, what do I need to repent of? Who do I need to apologize when I was rude and a jerk to? What, what haughty spirit? The Bible tells us the book of Proverbs, pride comes before the fall. Maybe have you ever know anybody real prideful and then they collapsed. They were real full of themselves, taught, thought they were number one, and then it, that, that was, they didn't last very long. They fell. That, that's what the Bible tells us. People who are prideful eventually just fall over. They don't make it. The Lord does not, He detests pride because it robs Him of His glory. And that what we see from Gad in this whole message here today is God is using this prophet to say, do you have pride in your heart? Is there attitudes you need to repent of? And a lot of this is indwelling sin. You can be prideful and no one else knows about it except the Lord. He knows about it. And some of you might not see answers to prayer and you're not seeing great blessings. You're not seeing the presence of God because really you've got a prideful heart. You've got what the Bible calls a haunty spirit. It's just a sense of arrogance. No one likes arrogant people. And God doesn't like them either because it robs him of his glory. So this morning, we look in our hearts and say, God, if I am prideful, if I have a haunty, cocky spirit, Lord, I repent of that. Lord, remove that from me. Lord, cleanse me of prideful attitudes. I'm going to invite Beecher and Band to come forward at this time. Y'all come on up. We're going to have our invitation. We close our worship services here with a way to respond to God. And some of you need to respond to God. Maybe you need to get baptized. We do baptizing here, baptism here about every two months or so. I go a group of folks, we schedule baptism, and Zach and I baptize you. If you have never been baptized, and baptism is for believers, that's for saved folks. You've been born again. You walk down front. You never want to, never be too prideful to walk down the aisle. You know, don't allow pride to say, I'm, not, I'm too good to walk down the aisle. Everyone needs to walk down the aisle and give their life and follow Jesus. God looks for people who do that. He looks for people who are lowly in spirit. You walk this aisle and say, Pastor, I want to get baptized. Put me in your next group. It'll probably be, it'll probably be in July after VBS because we'll have a big group from that. Sometime in July, we'll do baptism again. And you need to be in that group and say, I want to get baptized. I want to be a believer, following believers' baptism. Now, baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Baptism is a picture of your old self going down and your new self coming up. Or maybe some of you, y'all need to join this church. Broadway is a Bible-believing, evangelistic church that teaches and preaches the Bible. And you need to have friends here. You need to be connected here. This needs to be your church home. If you want to join this church or you want to get baptized next month, you're going to walk this out this time and take my hand or take Zach's hand and make that decision public. So we're all going to stand up. I'm going to be standing down front. Zach's going to be standing right here. Beecher and our band is going to lead us in a song, and we respond to God.